Sometimes I just wish we could keep singing. You sing wonderfully. Of course, we're not singing for our ears. We're singing to the heart of the Lord. And yes, I guess in a sense we're singing for our ears because we want to edify one another. And you've done that. And I appreciate the way that you sing. I appreciate the respectful way and the good way in which you've conducted the other parts of the service as well. I just found it very easy to worship. And uh, that's what it's all about, to, to be able to worship and to be able to do that freely and easily. And you've made that possible for me uh, this morning. So good to have my wife with me. She doesn't always get to come with me, but she's with me today, and she's the best part of this whole thing. And I'm just glad that she's able to do that. Good to see people I haven't seen in a long time, uh, some that are visiting today. If you're visiting today and, and, and need help in some way, especially spiritually, I want you to know that I'll be happy to... Uh, try to answer any questions that you might have. Sometimes a preacher moves pretty fast and you'd like for him to slow down some. Maybe you'd like to him to spend a little concentrated time with something that's on your mind. If you're hurting in any way, if, if you're troubled, if there's anything that, that I can do uh, to try to help you with any of that, I certainly would be happy to, and I know the other members would as well. Let me quickly mention about the uh, sermons this week. Uh, what you have on your flyer is not completely right, but I can remedy that and make that pretty simple. If you'll just mark out the very last lesson on unconditional obedience, just mark that one off. Uh, that's not going to be preached. And then after the Monday night lesson, the Tuesday night lesson will be Jesus in my home. And so if you'll just insert Jesus in my home for Tuesday night, the order will be exactly right all the rest of the way. So uh, that's what we'll be doing this week. If you need reminders about that, ask me. I'll be glad to tell you, and that may help you in inviting other people to come and to be with us. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing to make this a wonderful, wonderful time for me. If you would get your Bibles now and turn to John, the fourth chapter, and as you're turning there, you probably recognize right away, you say, well, I know what that is. That's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And you would be exactly right about that. That's what it is. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to use that lesson in a kind of different way to talk to us about how we can learn from Jesus how to convert others. My understanding is that uh, in recent times, you've given great consideration to doing personal work, to reaching out, to try to, to talk to others about the Lord. And I hope that you're still very strong in that, but sometimes it's very easy to, to start off strong with that, and then it kind of wanes a bit. We need to renew our enthusiasm, and I certainly hope that this lesson this morning will certainly uh, help in doing that. The first thing that I see in John chapter 4 that's very important when it comes to bringing other souls to the Lord is that we must have an intense love for the souls of all men. In John, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, when Jesus, the Lord, knew that the Pharisees had, had heard that he made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. And then you have these words in verse 4. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And as a Bible student, when I'm reading that, all of a sudden that just jumps out at me. He needed to go through Samaria? No Jew ever needed to go through Samaria. In fact, the normal practice was they hated these people so much. My understanding is a lot of times when traveling uh, south to north or north to south, what they would do is when they realized they were getting close to the city of Samaria, they would cross over the Jordan River, continue up on the other side, and when they knew they were past Samaria, then they would come back over and enter the land and just, just bypass Samaria altogether. 
They absolutely hated these people. So much so they just avoided going through their city. There's a number of reasons why they hated them. First of all, the Samaritans were a mixed breed of people. When the Assyrians, many years before, had come in and conquered God's people, they did what a lot of conquering nations would do. They take your people out and they move some of their people in, and they'll leave a, a, a few of your folks. Well, what happened is a few of the Jews that were left in the land intermarried with these Assyrians, and what you ended up with was a mixed breed of people that came to be known as the Samaritans. They hated them. They hated that mixed breed of people. But furthermore, when the Jews came back to their homeland, it was those people that hindered them in rebuilding their temple. They got in the way of them rebuilding the temple, and so they hated them for that reason. And if that wasn't enough, they did not respect our temple. They went and built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they blended some of our stuff with their stuff, and, and they worshiped falsely over their own Mount Gerizim. And so you had all this stuff that caused them to just hate these folks. They were very, very prejudiced against them. The level of that hatred, hold your place where you are, but the level of that hatred is seen in John chapter 8 when Jesus was in the midst of a discussion with his enemies. And you know how it is sometimes when you're talking with people and they can't meet you with the truth? Sometimes you're having a conversation, and hopefully it doesn't get this way, but sometimes on the part of the other people, it begins to get a little bit heated. And when they won't meet you with the Scriptures, sometimes they just resort to name-calling. And that's what they did with Jesus in John 8 and verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? You have a demon. You notice when they got ready to call him something bad, they said, You're a Samaritan. And they put that right alongside the word demon. <laughs> That just shows you how much they hated these people and how prejudiced they were against these people. But here's the point that I want you to get in every bit of this. Jesus never, ever shared their prejudices. Never. And that's because Jesus loves every single person. Jesus loves every single person. And yet, to our shame, in various times in our country, our hatred has been so great... And across the world, hatred has been so great at times to even deny that some people even have a soul. My understanding is that Hitler denied that the Jews had a soul. In a recent visit to Washington, D.C., uh, among the sites that I went to see was the Holocaust Museum. And when you just see just piles of shoes that are there, left lying there, that came off some of these train cars. And you, and you realize the atrocities that were committed, the sheer hatred that was there. It's enough to just make you sick. I'm reminded one time of a place years ago where there was a woman who had uh, come to a worship service. There were white people in the congregation. There were black people who had interest. And, and she was standing at the window. It's pretty crowded. It's pretty crowded. And she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. And at the end of the week, near the end of the week, about Thursday night, her decision was, I want to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so she talked to the preacher after the service was over there on the front steps and said, I, I, I've heard the wonderful news, the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ, and I want to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, absolutely. And he took her down to the, 
to a nearby uh, hole of water, if you will, and baptized her into Jesus Christ. And she said, the next night I was so excited, I had my Bible and I tucked it under my arm and I began to make my way up those steps and I got to the top of the steps and somebody met me at the top of the steps and said, you won't be allowed to come in here. And she said, well, so I just went back outside and I took my place at my window (laughs) And when they sang praises to God and they sang about Jesus Christ, she said, I sang at the top of my lungs to my Lord. She said, because Jesus had set me free. She said, now my brethren hadn't set me free. But Jesus had set me free. And if Jesus sets you free, she said, you are free indeed. How in the name of a God in heaven and a Savior on a cross did we ever manage to do something like that? There's an old poem that I came across some time ago that's called The Cold Within. It says, six humans trapped by happenstance in bleak and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick stick of wood, or so the story's told. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first man held his back. For of the faces round the fire, he noticed one was black. The next man looking across the way saw one not of his church. And he couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes and he gave his coat a hitch. Why should he give his log and put it to use to warm the idle rich? The rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth that he had in store and how to keep what he had earned From the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge for wrongs as the fire passed from sight. For all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did naught except for gain. Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. Their logs held tight in death's still hand was proof of human sin. They did not die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. Their own prejudices killed them. Everybody having what was needed to warm up every soul. And yet dying from the cold within. Jesus never, ever, ever shared those prejudices. It is interesting to me that in some of the greatest stories that Jesus ever told, I mean, you realize they are his stories. And he can tell them the way he wants to tell them. But it's very interesting to me, in a lot of the stories that Jesus told, who he decided to make the good guy. Do you remember he told a story about a man who fell among thieves and they beat him and left him for dead? And it says that that Jesus said there was a man who came by that he was a priest and he saw him and he just walked by on the other side. Another man comes by and he's a Levite and he just walks by on the other side. And then there's a man, Jesus says, who comes along. And Jesus says, he was a Samaritan. And you know what he's doing. He is sticking their prejudices right in their face. He is making them deal with the kind of hearts that they have toward these Samaritan people. 
Makes me wonder if Jesus had come along in certain days in our country who he would have decided to make the good guy in the story. I only know of one reason that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And that was because there was one lost soul there that needed to know the truth. Now I can just imagine if the disciples had said, Lord, why are we going through Samaria? And he might have said, well, there's a woman that I need to teach. And I want to tell you, in that society, they would have said, a a woman? Because rabbis did not talk publicly with women. Yeah, it's a woman. It's a Samaritan woman. Samaritan. Yes, she worships on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim. And by the way, she's had five husbands. You mean you're going to give that woman the time of day? That very easily could have been their thought. Surely you aren't going to teach her. She'll never obey the gospel. She's got way too much baggage. It's just, it's just too much to ask of her. And I think Jesus would say, let's just let her decide that. Who would have ever thought that a man would take his son and go and build an altar and draw back his hand to slay his son just because God said so? Who would have thought that a man would turn from, all, from a whole life of being steeped in Judaism? He's even been killing Christians. And then just like that, he changes. Who would have thought it? There are people in the world who will do whatever it takes to be acceptable to Jesus Christ. And we don't need to be making the decisions for them as to whether they will or they won't. Let's give them the gospel and let's let them make that decision. And Jesus has an intense love for the souls of all men. And I'm here to tell you, if you have ever experienced that, there is nothing like it. I mean, it'll just get all over you. There's nothing like sitting down with someone at a table with open Bibles, studying the Word of God together and watching that person break down one bit at a time, watching them crumble before you as they hear the love of Jesus Christ for their soul. There's nothing like that. It is absolutely incredible. And sometimes a heart that seems awfully resistant to start with can break down and obey the gospel before it's done. I remember one time I had a Bible study with a man and his wife. He had asked me if I would come and study with her and and, uh, she had really reluctantly said, well, you know, okay. And so I came over. I didn't know it until later that night, but she had told him before I got there, she said, I don't care what he says, I'm not budging. I didn't know she had said that, but that's what she said. I don't care what he says, I'm not budging. We sat down and we studied that night. I don't know, we started about 5.30 or something like that. We started that night, and she seemed a little bit like a wall was up around her to start with. But We kept reading, we kept talking, we kept studying, she started sharing, I watched her. I watched her melt as time went on. We baptized her about 10.30 that night into Christ for the remission of her sins. And he said, you, let, you want me to tell you what she said before you got here? And then that's what, when he told me what she had said. I'll tell you something else that happened on that occasion. Walls were not only breaking down, as 2 Corinthians 10 talks about, how that, how that uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't take swords and things like that to make people obey But our weapons are mighty in God. This is what we use. And it says in 2 Corinthians 10, it breaks down strongholds. 
And that's what it did with her. It broke down her strongholds. Little by little, the walls just came crumbling down. But you know what else I realized about 10.30 or 11 o'clock that night? I hadn't eaten supper. I had not. I mean, I had supper. I mean, I mean, the thing went on for like three hours, and I never anticipated that. I missed supper altogether. And you know what? I never even thought about it. It'll make you even forget about being hungry. When you're feeding people the Word of God and they want that, oh, it's wonderful. Look at John chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. In John chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says that Jesus came to the city of Samaria. And, of course, he's there at the well. Verse 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well... And it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus comes to this well. He's thirsty. He is tired. He's wore out. He's pooped. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But picking up now, when you come down to verse 31, the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. They come back. They find him talking with this woman. And in verse 31, it says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat! And he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. <laughs> I can just kind of see them going. They said, has anyone brought him anything to eat? <laughs> and Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's saying, guys, my food is doing what God wants me to do. My food is teaching this woman like I've been teaching that's my food. And I want to tell you, it will make you forget all about the other food. Verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. That's what Jesus knew. I heard Paul Earnhardt say, here's the God of the universe. The God of the universe being fed by the love of one soul for him. It fed the creator of the earth. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Folks, we have got to have an intense love for the souls of all men. That's Jesus. Secondly, showing himself friendly made a difference. Folks, we're living in a world that's just bitter, depressed, angry. Sometimes I wonder how much the media feeds that, but, but it's obvious at times that, that there's just so much of this stuff in our society. Darkness is getting greater as far as sin concern, is concerned. It's, it's, it's gloomy at times. But here's what we need to know. The darker it is out there, the better this shines. I'm amazed sometimes what a single light, uh, night light can do in my house. We've got one that was given to us by the Red Cross. You put it in the outlet, but it doesn't come on. It doesn't come on until you lose electricity. And when you lose electricity, then it comes on. That happened to us a while back, and that thing came on. And I'm like, whoa, you're a little bitty thing, but you sure are putting out a lot of light. The darker it was in the house, the more that thing stood out. And that's what we have right here. We can shine, people, 
in a world that's like that. Look at Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, it says that we are to become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen to me. I want you to think about the treatment this woman normally got from people. Nose is turned up. People avoiding her. Maybe even as they walk by, they, th- they kind of say some little word like Samaritan. That's the kind of treatment this woman normally gets. I think she probably was surprised to even see a Jew at this well. And I can just imagine her dread as she realizes and she approaches this well and it's like, oh no. But then she meets a man called Jesus. She comes to this well and in John 4 and verse 7 it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Could you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She is blown away. And let me tell you what she's blown away at. She's blown away that he even talked to her. He rocks this woman's world because he just talked to her. He was kind. It just dripped off of him as he did it. Here's somebody different. Here's somebody unlike anybody that I've ever met. And here's what I want to say to you. Our greatest source of growth, I believe, is going to be right here. That we have love for everybody and we show ourselves friendly to people. We show ourselves kind to people. And there are people out there that are starving for that. Do you realize there's people out there that are absolutely starving for love? There are people out there who have so many problems... I've had people to tell me, man, if you knew the things I've done in my life, you'd faint. They think that we can't relate to them at all. I mean, here you are all dressed up in your coats and ties and you're so sterile and you're so clean and you're so good and and you can't possibly relate to me. And it's important for us to, to help people to see that we love you and we care for you. We've been there too and we can help you. We can help you. Sometime back I preached a lesson and somebody gave me this afterward. It says, one day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class who was walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. And I thought to myself, why would anybody bring all of his books home on Friday? He must really be a nerd. So I shrugged my shoulders and I went on because I had A lot planned that weekend, parties, football games, friends tomorrow afternoon. And as I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running toward him. And they ran at him, knocking all of his books out of his arms and tripping him so that he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him. He crawled around on the grass, found his glasses, and when he looked up, I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him. I jogged over to him as he crawled around looking for his glasses. I saw a tear in his eye. 
And as I handed him his glasses, I said, all those guys are jerks. They should really get a life. And he looked at me and he said, hey, thanks. There was this big smile on his face. You know, it was one of those kind of smiles that shows real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and I asked him where he lived and he told me and I found that he lived near me. We talked all the way home. I helped carry his books. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and some friends. He said yes and we hung out all weekend and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him. He goes on to mention that Kyle became the valedictorian of their class. And on the day that they were going to have their graduation, Kyle is to give the address as the valedictorian. And he said, I I see him, and I give him one of those big smacks on the back, and I said, hey, big guy, you'll do great. Kyle got up, and he began to speak, and he said, graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through tough years, your parents, your teachers, your siblings, your coach, but mostly your friends. And I'm here to tell you all that being a friend to someone is the best gift that you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. He says, I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we had met. He had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker so his mom wouldn't have to do it later. And he was carrying his stuff home. He looked hard at me and he gave a little smile and he says, thankfully I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard a gasp go throughout the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told all about his weakest moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling that same grateful smile. And not until that moment did I realize its depth. And then he finishes saying, never underestimate the power of your actions. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life. Could you give me a drink? What power there is in it. You never know what one act of kindness can do. Show yourself friendly and make a difference. And then this. Talk to people. Talk to people. I think one of the things that kind of scares us away from personal work is that we we think that we've got to just go right away, you know, and we've got to get that study right away. You know, would you like to have a four-lesson course with me on the Bible? And by the way, you might be surprised how many people, if you said that to, somebody might eventually say, well, sure. But my point is, is that that's not all the, all the way it has to be sometimes. Jesus didn't even do that on this occasion. I want to just show you quickly. Go with me to John chapter 4, and I want you to notice what happens here. It starts, you with me here? It starts with, could you give me a drink? <laughs> and it ends up with, Well, let's just look at how it ends up. Jesus says to her in verse 7, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus now picks up on that and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you see what he's done? 
He started with something physical. He starts with physical water and just says, could you give me a drink? And she's, whoa, she's blown back that he even talked to her. He says, you know, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. So he's gone from water to living water. Can you see how he's kind of slid that conversation from physical to spiritual? Oh, now she's pumped up about that living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to drink. And then notice Jesus says, uh, well, go and call your husband and come here. I'd love to have heard how she, answered, how she spoke this next thing. I wonder if she kind of said, um, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you've said, well, you have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Now she's blown away. How does he know that I've had five husbands? I just met this guy. And so now she's thinking, this guy's got to be a prophet. Verse 19, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now that she realizes, oh, he must be a prophet, I'm going to ask a religious question I've had for a long time. And so the next verse says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's saying, who's right? We worship over here, they worship over there. Who's right? Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And by the way, basically what he just said is, we've got it right. We worship according to the Father's will. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And if you can hear these next verses without getting chill bumps, you are better than me. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Oh, I, I got goosebumps big as a quarter on my legs right now. <laughs> She's looking the Messiah in the legs, <laughs> in the face. <laughs> I, got, I got stuck on leg. <laughs> She's looking the Messiah in the eyes, face to face with the Savior of the world. Boy, that was a good one, wasn't it? That, that, that's, that's, that's page one on preacher bloopers. <laughs> She's looking the Messiah in the face. But do you see what he did? He just gradually slid that thing. And she goes away, and she wants to tell everybody. Look at verse, uh, picking up now in uh, verse 39. Well, verse 29. Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That's what she says to the people of the city. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. I don't know that he did, but she knew he could. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said, 
But we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So do you see how he went from idle chit-chat to getting right to the heart of spiritual matters? Now let me give you some quick lessons on that. When you're talking to people, don't jump right away to points of difference. He didn't go up to her and say, you worship over there on Mount Gerizim, don't you? I'll not give you the time of day, shameless woman. You know how many husbands you've had? Five. He did not jump right away to points of difference. Did he get on those things? Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he, got, he got to it. But it wasn't where he started. It's not where he started. And I want to tell you, because he wanted to do more than that. He wanted to do more than just deal with these points of difference. He wanted this woman to see who he was and what he could do for her. That's what he wants to accomplish. That's what he's after. And yet, sometimes we can do things that are so stupid. It's like a woman that I know of. That I've been trying to work with. Her husband told me that one time they were in a restaurant. And somebody who was a member of the church walked up to them and talked a little bit. And somewhere in the conversation said to her, you need to go home and read your Bible. He said, I wish they could see her Bible. Her Bible's marked up from beginning to end. It's torn and tattered. She reads it all the time. I tell you who needs to read their Bible. Somebody that says something like that ought to read their Bible. Because Colossians, the fourth chapter and verse 6, tells us to be careful about that kind of thing. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Why do we say stupid things? If y'all heard, uh, heard that country music song that was out several years ago that said, here's your sign. You heard, you've heard that one? It's talking about stupid things people say. You know, like, you know, like the, other, the other day, I, uh, I had a problem with my car. I was on the side of the road, and I had a tire that just went flat on me. And somebody pulled over and said, that tire go flat on you? Nope. Those other three just puffed right up on me. Here's your sign. Of course, my tire went flat on me. But it's talking about things people are saying. He, he said, I just wish they had signs that basically said, you know, I, stay, I say stupid things. Here's my sign. And sometimes you wish that sometimes certain members of the church would have signs that just say, don't ask me a question or don't talk with me because they're not going to handle that very well. There's a lot of truth to the statement that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Maybe one of the things we can do with people is just talk to them about Jesus. Maybe we could just say, what's your favorite thing about Jesus? Just let them get to talking. Talk about that and gradually work your way where you want to go. Secondly, allow for differences in people's hearts. She was not a hard-hearted Pharisee, folks. She wasn't a hard-hearted Pharisee. She didn't need a stick of dynamite like he did with them one time when he says, you, you, you sons of hell, you'll travel land and foot to win one proselyte. When you win him, you make him twice as much a son of hell, of hell as yourselves. And he only did that because he had tried everything else and they needed something to blast their hearts. But this woman is not a hard-hearted Pharisee. In Jude 22 and 23, the Bible says that we need to make a distinction in people. As I talked to a preacher this morning, he says, yes, indeed, there's not a one-size-fits-all. You have to think about where the person is and how much they know and where they're at with their life. And sometimes your approaches are different. Look at Jude 22 and 23. On some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. 
On some, you have compassion, making a distinction. You deal with them gently. I think Jesus did that with this woman. But other people are so hard-hearted and they're so close to hell in the way that they go about things that sometimes you have to be a little stronger. You know, if somebody's house is burning down, I'm not going to go knock on the door and say, uh, hey, folks, I just thought I'd let you know your house is engulfed with flames and you might want to think about getting out, you know. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rush in and I'm going to pull them out <laughs> because of the immediate danger. And then be slow, be patient with a slowness to catch on. I had this uh, read, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 24. It says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God will grant them repentance so that they may come to the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See that? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Why do we have to be quarrelsome people? Why can't we be gentle to everybody, why can't we be really able to teach and patient with people and, and humility correcting those who are in opposition and give God the time to do His work with people? Listen to me. It's hard to undo years of teaching. When people have been taught wrong for years and years and years, it's kind of hard to undo that. I remember one time I was up preaching this sermon and I said, what if I told you that two plus two is five? And there was a girl in the audience that said, uh-uh. That's all she heard was me say two plus two was five. And right away, uh-uh. Why did she immediately protest that? Even if that had been the truth, you know why she's saying uh-uh? Because all her life she's been told two plus two is four. And when you've been taught something all your life and somebody comes along and tries to show you something different, sometimes it takes a little time. And we need to understand that. As we get close to finishing the lesson, let me just say to you, as we talk about saying things like, could you give me a drink? I was working on this sermon years ago, and I thought to myself, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give it a try. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm learning about it. I'm just going to give it a try. I was in Hardy's, and this lady was over there, and she was mopping the floor and uh, just getting with it. And uh, I thought, here I go. I said, uh, have you all been busy today? She said, no, it hasn't been that bad today. She said, but Sunday was terrible. She said, oh, it was so busy. She said, and I just, she said, I hated that so bad. She said, I had to miss church and I can't stand missing church. I said, oh, oh, oh you go to church somewhere? She said, yeah, I go to church. I used to go over here. But, you know, right now we're kind of looking for somewhere to go. I said, well, I'd like to tell you about where I go. I got up Sunday morning. Stood up to preach, looked about three quarters of the way back, and there she was. Where did it start? Have you all been busy today? I was just looking for something to start with. And that led to this, and that led to that, and then that led to that. You see? That's what Jesus did. You might be saying, well, I just can't do that. I just, I just can't do that. I don't have a good mouth. You know, we're sort of like uh, Moses. You know, here am I. Send Aaron. <laughs> you know. I, I can't talk. You know, I'm not good at talking. And God said on that occasion, I'll be with your mouth. I like my friend Gary Sandusky. He says, if we could just stand in front of a mirror and go, I, I. 
He's just get used to getting one word out. I. And he said, then you might say, I'd like to introduce myself or I'd like to uh, invite you to go where we go to church. I'd like to talk to you about studying the Bible. If we can just get the I, then maybe we can get the rest. Last point. Make time for it. Jesus was tired and weary and wore out. You ever get like that? I heard D. Bowman say one time, he said, you know, sometimes what I like to do is I like to go home. I like to sit in my recliner and I like to reach over there and pull that thing into fifth gear. And I like to get my feet up there in front of me. And when I got them in front of me, then I kind of bend them like that. He said, and I'll look right through my feet and just kind of look at the television set. And just hope nobody calls. Sometimes that's the way you want to do. Jesus was tired, but he always made time for what's important. Time is limited, people. In John 9 and verse 4, John 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. I got to do the work that God sent me while it's day. Some things are urgent. We got to find the time for it. Just like when in Daniel's day, when those people were told, You tell me the dream. <laughs> they started working on that. He said, I knew you'd find time for that. And then Ephesians 5 says, Redeem the time because the days are evil. Do you realize when Ephesians 5 was written and it said, You need to redeem the time, you need to buy back some time because the days are evil? Do you realize that just 100 years after Paul made that statement, Christians were being burned alive, thrown to wild beasts, and brutalized in many other ways. We've got to redeem the time because the days are evil. We have so many resources available to us. We can do more than has ever been able to do, to do in, in West, as far as communication in the history of the world. How much longer do we have to do that? How much longer can we freely do what so desperately needs to be done? How much time do we have? We need to make time for it. Let's make a difference. Let's take Jesus to the world. Thank you so much for your good attention this morning. I hope that will be helpful to you and maybe to encourage you to, to get back focused again if that's the need. Or just do more of what you're already doing if that's the case. But take the, the Jesus to the world. Take him to your friends and neighbors. If you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and you see the tremendous need for that. Or if you're here and you need encouragement. If you're here and you just need help past a hurdle in some way, whatever your need is, we'll be glad to help you this morning. We sing a song to encourage you. Would you come while we stand and as we sing?